You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days of NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. In time, you will come to love me, even as a god. Stay tuned. Alan, Alan Seiler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, hello, people. And Veronica Dashel. Indeed. <laughs> we're going beyond trek yeah we're talking about some other sci-fi that we love um and we got a we got a whole bunch of them so i think we should just uh get rolling and, and dive in i think alan you suggested this topic this time so you want to kick it off okay sure well first of all i just want to say i need to adjust my camera because i feel like i'm a child sitting at the adult table <laughs> i thought you were doing lord of the rings i thought it was a bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the thing that really made me, you know, we did this once before uh, last year. I guess it was last year. Maybe it was longer ago than that. But um, I wanted to do it again because <laughs> I have been on a couple of quests this year. And the main one that I really wanted to talk about because I was so excited about it was that I have now watched the entirety of Blake 7 for the first time ever. I have been aware of Blake seven for 40 years. As long as I've known Dr. Who, I have heard about Blake seven. Now my PBS station in Florida that I grew up watching Dr. Who on carried a lot of great stuff. Um, Tomorrow people and the BBC television adaptation of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and all kinds of things. But I don't think it ever carried Blake seven because I, I would have seen it. I would have known about it had they had it, but I never saw it. And then, you know, pre-internet days, I never saw it. I know that at, at one time it was all the episodes were available on YouTube. And I I kind of started on it. So I watched the first episode, but, um, I, you know, I don't know. I didn't want to really sit at my computer and watch it on YouTube. So then I got BritBox because of classic Doctor Who, of course. Mm-hmm. BritBox then added Blake seven and I was like, Oh, my time has come. <laughs> so I have now seen all of Blake seven and I just freaking love it. It is so good. It is so good to the point where the biggest cast change that they could do getting rid of Blake. Well, he <laughs> left the show. They didn't get rid of him. And the show carries on for two seasons without the title character. And I didn't even care because I loved okay. all the characters so much. Man, it was Just such a good show. Avon. Right, exactly. <laughs> Avon has to stay. <laughs> exactly. He was so good. I mean, but yeah. the whole cast was great. Mm-hmm. You know, even the after Jenna left um, after season two, and we had a couple of replacements come in because Gant had died, you know, in the middle of season two. Spoilers! Um, and then we had a couple of replacement characters and I loved them just as much. And God, what a great show and best final episode of any series I've ever seen. Most any series. There are some, 
there's some other contenders for that, but man, it's so good. They, they ended it with a sense of finale. They weren't they weren't doing the new Marvel thing and setting you up for a sequel. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Boy, that is the truth. I mean, well, I don't want to. I don't want to. I mean, it's very important to not ruin right the oh, ending yeah, for somebody who has never seen it. And if somebody's watching and has never seen it, I, I I'm not gonna. There you go. Veronica <laughs> is one. Veronica um, is not. I'm not gonna say what I could say about it because you have to watch it all the way through to get to that last episode. So yeah, man, that was I was so excited to finally get to see that and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. But I've got some other quests that I took this past year too that we're going to get to in a few minutes. But Blake okay. Seven, man, that's where it's at. I have a question. Did um we 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 in our conversations behind the scenes we were talking about the list? Did anybody form a in their own mind best of list, or was there any criterion for what you chose? Any rhyme or reason? No, I think just, I just stuff we watched recently. Yeah, I just picked <laughs> things that have been on my mind. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, what about you, Keith? Did you have a criterion or a best of list? You know, because it's so hard, as you say, when you say sci-fi, that literally goes back to one of the ones I'm going to discuss. The first sci-fi film is considered having been sh- produced in 1902, 122 years ago. So <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of stuff. And so... I couldn't do best of, uh, or, you know, best of is going to be hard. And then there's a lot of modern stuff that everybody knows about. So what I started thinking of was films that are either or things that are either relatively little known or things that are kind of progenitors and seminal for things that came before. For example, may not get a chance to talk about it, but there's a TV series called The Invaders. And if anybody knows, um, um, the X-Files and so forth, or other things like Persuade, that's what we're talking about. Now, there are things that come from the time of what we would call the German Expressionism. There are some other old films, and these are films that, these are films and shows that other people absolutely were inspired by, even if you sometimes don't know it. I was thinking about one time, there's a thing I saw on the internet, there's a thing where every time you see these memes on the internet about the greatest science fiction or fantasy works of all time, there's a running joke that almost everybody always says everything copies Star Wars or the Matrix, as if nothing exists before <laughs> Star Wars or the Matrix. Right. And well, that's not true. But, but those two things did change the entire landscape of sci-fi you know, mm-hmm. so everything right. does copy that, even though there are things before that that are absolutely also. And but. those things, yeah, and they and they are based on so many other things. So it was that just kind of started me thinking of the things that I saw as a kid that shaped me and that so many other things actually borrow from whether people know it yeah. or not. Yeah. Okay. So did, was, that, was that your first one, The Invader? <laughs> oh, no. I, 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 I was thinking Veronica was going to go. So I'll go. So I'll do my, if we want to go ahead. <laughs> I'll do yeah, my first one. And the first one I did, as I mentioned, there's a film, a French film by a really famous director that a whole bunch of people know these and never heard of. And this was a movie called From Earth, I'm sorry, A Trip to the Moon, mm-hmm. produced in 1902, which again, just stuns me. This thing was produced a year before the Wright brothers flew the airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you do the math, you're talking about, you're in the vicinity of the creation of the telephone, the first radio waves being sent, Edison and the light bulb. That's how far back this thing goes. Um, the trip to the moon is by a guy named, it's Marie, I guess it's Georges, Jean Méliès, M-E-L-I-E-S in French. And he has been called the father, the father of the science fiction film and one of the fathers of special effects. 
One thing that would tell you the pedigree about this film, whether you even heard of it or not, is that it was inspired by the works of Jules Verne and H.G. Wells. And it tells a story about this professor and five of the people who want to go to the moon and they do what they did in movies back then. They literally build a spaceship in, in a laboratory based on somebody's backyard and they kind of shoot a big shell <laughs> toward the moon. Yeah. That's just the way it was thought of back then. Yeah. Um, Robert Goddard, the American father of rocketry, was 20 years away from doing his first rocket experiments. And as people know, back then, people still thought Mars had canals and water and life. And so shooting a giant cannonball, a cannon shell to the moon, kind of sort of made sense back then. What makes the movie amazing, it's only 14 minutes long, but what makes it amazing is it has incredible special effects. Uh, what do you think about this director? It was he was by training and trade, he was an illusionist, a magician, a toy maker, a costume designer. And he brought all those things to the, the nascent industry of film. And he was one of the first people to do things like what now are incredibly common, such as fadeaways, split screens, exposure, all these different kinds of effects. Before film could use color, he hand painted cells so you would have something approaching color. And it's a it's a trippy film. It's kind of surrealistic. It's charming and it's incredible simplicity about getting to the moon. It actually literally has a scene where the, the ship crashes to the moon and the moon looks like old man moon where it pokes him in the eye. But what's fascinating about this guy is he has influenced everybody from the the uh, infamous D.W. Griffith to Terry Gilliam, who called him the first great film wizard and one of his greatest influences. Uh, seeing this film is just seeing where the history of film came from and seeing where the history of science fiction actually starts. And I just think it's something everybody should see at only 14 minutes. You're not going to waste a lot of time. If you know, if it's something that's not interesting to you, it is absolutely, I think a must see. Oh yeah, absolutely. And amazingly 122 years later, that, that, that image of the moon is still iconic. Yeah. yeah. People yeah. Still yeah. that image, even if they don't know where it came from. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the great things about it. And the, the interesting thing, real quick, I'll say last thing about this guy. He had a whole bunch of troubles and issues. And this was the day when you did have film. One of the most famous thing about him was he produced dozens, if not hundreds of films in a fit of rage later in his life when people were thinking his work was not that important. And he got into some interesting business and merger deals. He burned his own negatives. And wow. so the mass, the vast majority of the films this man produced over a century ago, we will never get back because he burned them. Uh, nowadays, of course, we all know about preserving things, whether we right. think they're important or we think we can sell them. What a loss. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we continue on to Veronica, do we want to take a break and grab some comments before we wander yeah. too far away from the topic? Right. Absolutely, because we have a wayward son returning to the fold. <laughs> Tiger Wayne. Blade 2002. Hey, Wayne, what's up, brother? We've missed for a few weeks, and he says, okay, here early. He actually, when I logged on, he was already waiting to for the show to start. So <laughs> it's nice to see you, buddy. Good to see you back. Welcome Matt back. says, we love you, Keith, but I don't know about that God thing. <laughs> 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 and then... A couple of people chime in about Blake seven. Elaine says, yay for it. Matt says Blake seven should have been called bleaks seven. <laughs> Whoa, never seen it. So I don't get the reference. It's a bleak show. Mm. Um, Tony Bowers. Hey buddy says Blake seven was really ahead of its time. True. 
And Wayne's got a couple of new comments here. It says the Vern and Wells inspiration is obvious now in a trip to the moon. And yeah. now that you mention it. Yep, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so, everybody for watching. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you everyone for joining us. So Veronica, are you taking us back to the silent era as well? No. <laughs> 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 so mine is Stargate and Stargate is one of the many, 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 many science fiction things that Chuck introduced me to pretty much <laughs> almost all of science fiction outside of Star Wars um, movie wise and TV wise. And because I never had cable growing up, so it wasn't a thing that I knew about at all whatsoever. And my internet forms did not <laughs> have any information about any of this. <laughs> and gr growing up, I was very much into Egypt and Egyptian gods. And there was like um, this educational cool. game that you played in this like Egyptian museum and you had to battled god Ra and do all the other things but anyway so i was into egyptian gods and greek gods and all that and i met chuck and he's like i have this series i think you'd really like it's about aliens who um pose as the egyptian gods and i'm like "Ooh, i want to see that and then we proceeded to watch the entire season with four episodes every single day. Sometimes we spent the entire day and watched like 12 episodes or more. Wow. Um, <laughs> we had more time back then. <laughs> we didn't have a lot more time. We were not doing anything <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, but I really, I, I've, I've been watching it a little bit again. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of semi-regular in our rotation. We'll pick it up occasionally. Um, but I'd, it had been a while, so I'd forgotten how um, lighthearted it can be. And how hilarious <laughs> it actually is. Yeah. But they take themselves seriously, but they don't at the same time. The The show is taking everything seriously, but the people are always jokey and sarcastic. And um, it's it's just amazing. And it ran for 10 seasons. SG-1 ran for 10 seasons. SG-1 ran for 10 seasons. And then Atlantis what, five for of five. Atlantis? And then and two then of SGU. universe. Ooh, sorry, I don't like SGU. <laughs> oh my god, it was so good. No, especially, yes, especially season two. Oh my god, it was amazing. So <laughs> I think I accidentally um, once saw Stargate on TV, like a clip of it back when you had to like scroll through channels, um, because I remember the characters in um, uh, universe. Okay. For some reason, I I remember a thing, and then I also remember one from uh, I think it's season nine or ten. It's Daniel and Vala, and it's in, in the beginning of the season, and they are like in another dimension. Um, and I remember seeing that, and when we got to that, I was like, "This seems really familiar. I've seen this before." I don't remember the whole thing, of course. I never remember things. We got to but... we got to season nine, and you're like, "Hey, maybe I have seen this." <laughs> Back when TV shows were like 22 episodes a season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's meaty. It's a big rewatch. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it's over 200 episodes. Right. Now, now a show might get 60. Mm -hmm. And yeah. be done. That's a yeah. long run for a show. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, Veronica, were, when you were introduced uh, by Charles, what, were you introduced directly to the series or did you go for the movie with James Spader at all? No, we did start with the movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did start with the movie. And then we went through the the series. 
Um, and I did peek ahead when someone in the series died to make sure they came back. Ah. <laughs> Chuck was like, don't look at the other. Cause he had the, he has the uh, DVD collection, like the big box mm-hmm. set collection. And um, like, don't peek ahead. Don't look at the others. You don't want to know what happens. I was like, but he died. I need to know if he comes back. So <laughs> yeah, but he's he's sci-fi died. <laughs> right. Did, did you like them? Did you like the movie compared to the series? Yeah, I, I like the series better because it's more mm. lighthearted. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas the movie, um, especially Jack, <laughs> mm-hmm. is 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 almost a different character. Oh yeah. Well, in the film, his son has just died. Yeah, yeah. shooting yeah. himself with his uh, with his dad's gun, yeah. and so he's not in a good place. So there's right. he's not joking. Yeah, yeah, he's he's mellowed out a little bit, and he mellows out even more mm-hmm. across the series mm-hmm. as things happen. But yeah, Stargate's a great show. I think it's it's as rewatchable as like next gen DS nine. It's like that. It's like nineties yeah. sci fi continued on into the two thousands. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's, uh, yeah, well, it's fantastic. And one thing I like about what's interesting is, is you can't, there's certain comparisons you just can't help do. And it's not even bad or good. They're just comparisons. You can't help, you can't watch Stargate without thinking about how in Star Trek, every time they go to the planet, they're careful not to break the prime directive, ideally. And in Stargate, part of which, because they always assume if there's a Stargate that the, um, that the Ga'ul had already basically interfered or the people on the planet came from Earth anyway. But in Stargate, there's never, ever a conversation of, should we tell these people about (laughs) other planets? Even when the people have, the gate has been buried or not used for so many centuries, they've forgotten that there are aliens. Jack and them will just come in and go, hey, folks, we're from a planet called Earth. We're related. There's Gould aliens. Here we go. Everyone, your God's not real. Do you want any help killing him? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting contrast to Mm -hmm. would you approach space exploration like Star Trek where you don't tell people and Stargate where they're like, look, we got to tell them because we need alliances and allies. It's it's an interesting contrast. And also it's America. Going to, America, <laughs> going to America. There ain't gonna be no prime directive. Like, uh-huh. hey, you got some nice minds here. What are, you, what are you mining for over there? You got some weapons. That's <laughs> a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stargate's great. Yeah. And yeah. another yeah. connection is there's an episode in um, Next Generation that they used in um, Stargate, basically. Basically. This is the same writer who wrote Code of Honor basically wrote the same episode for Stargate in the first season as well called Emancipation. Which I hope it was uh, they less later offensive. make fun of. No. <laughs> oh, it's not it, less offensive? Not really, no. Okay. It's 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 Mongols instead of oh. people. So it's but no. It's no. <laughs> about, it's, it's basically the same. Oh that one. Episode. Yeah. Yeah. But it's Carter that... who gets captured and has to fight instead of Yar. Right. Yeah. yeah. Watching back and, and back. It's like the same episode. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's With right. the same and, screenwriter. You're right, and unfortunately, because of the cast in both sh- in both shows, a man of color is basically losing his mind over a blonde white woman. And not that I think they kind of intended that, but you're—I completely <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they make fun of it later. Like, right. that's one of the things I love about Stargate. Like, they'll reference sort mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. things that have already happened, but in a way that nah, this didn't actually happen. I wouldn't have actually done that. So, yeah, I love it. <laughs> okay, is that good for Stargate? You good? I'm good. Okay, good one. Uh, well, I'll start off with one that's something I've loved for a long time that has 
sort of come back. And now that Russell T. Davis has taken over Doctor Who again, they're, they're reevaluating some of the back catalog and trying to freshen it up for mm. the younger audience. Um, you know, introducing the older doctors to people who may not want to watch something that's black and white and slow. Mm. Um, well, which ordinarily. <laughs> okay, well, yes. If you told me that you know, you're going to edit down you know, an, an old show and colorize it with new soundtrack and make it faster paced for a modern audience. Uh, that's very much against my sensibilities. But mm-hmm. in this case, it's the Daleks. And Bronco, when you and I were first dating, <laughs> we were doing, a, we decided to watch through all of Doctor Who together, starting with William Hartnell. That didn't happen. We made it to the Daleks Ooh. and we lost you on the episode where they were crossing the crevasse. Yeah. Where they spent the entire yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And because it was too slow. So I thought, well, mate, well, let's, let's give it a try. So yeah. we watched the Daleks in color. And, and what, did, what did you think, Brian? I, I am. It was I, I thought it was too fast paced. I know you thought it was too fast paced. <laughs> I mean, I like that they skipped it. They did show them jumping across, but it didn't yeah. spend like five minutes of, oh, no, am I going to jump? No, I'm not going to jump. Oh, baby, I'm going to jump. Oh, no, I'm going to jump. Oh, oh, no. OK, I jumped. Right. Yeah. But I I think it's an interesting experiment. I think in some mm-hmm. cases it, it, it works quite well. The the thing that I was curious about going in was that, I mean, the way that they filmed TV in those days, a lot of long shots, a lot of like one, two camera setups. Yeah. But there's not a lot of edits in those old shows. They were, yes. you know, so I'm thinking, well, how are they going to, they're going to have to create edit points. Yes. You got to cut to something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you've got a, a basically one or two angles of the TARDIS, or the character speaking for minutes at a time. Like, what are you going to edit? And then, so they, they came up with some creative solutions. There's some flashbacks that you don't really need to be reminded of what happened four minutes ago on the show, but no. I think they're just creating points <laughs> where they can edit it. Um, I mean, I thought it was entertaining. I, I, I enjoyed it. I was glad they didn't change the aspect ratio, but um, I, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. I, I wouldn't want this to be the new definitive version, but I think if it introduces some new people to, to a classic Doctor Who. Maybe I should just shush and keep an open mind since I can still watch the original. But um, I, I thought it was an interesting experiment at the very least. See, I have, I love, obviously, I love Doctor Who and I love right. 60s <laughs> Doctor Who. Me too. But I still find the, the first Daleks serial to be a slog to get right. through because it is so slow. Yeah. And I, you know, a lot of modern viewers, younger kids who come in and like, we want to watch all of classic who we're going to start at the beginning. And I, and every time they say that, I think, I hope you make it past the second story (laughs) you know, because it is a hard one to get through. And Mm -hmm. I do think that this was a very, very good experiment. And I really Mm -hmm. enjoyed it. I do think it was a little too edited. A little too much the other way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that there were times that they did some clever stuff where they like um, had like, here's a scene. You can't see my hands. Here's a scene and here's Mm -hmm. a scene. And they sort of like overlaid them and edited between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And there Mm -hmm. were some music choices that I thought were really weird. But for the most for the most part, I really enjoyed it. I thought Mark Ayers created a new score, basically. and, And it was really good. I, I like they, they turned the escape into kind of a Mission Impossible. And yes. it's very sort of groovy music. And they're talking about the plan while you're seeing the plan being executed. Yes. And they just, yes. it's just it's snappy. It just yes, moves. It I, thought, I thought that was quite good. Yeah. I feel like I think- what they missed was um, the um, uh, the Khaled's um, 
That was, mm-hmm. that was the ones in the forest. Yeah. I, th- I feel like they missed the some falls. of the, the falls. The collars are yes. later. Yeah. yeah the collars of the dogs. I was like, that's not right. That's not right. Um, but I feel like they missed some of us connecting with the thals because okay. I didn't feel any connection with the thals. I was like, who are these people? Where did they come from? I mean, I knew where they yeah. came from, but I remember okay. there being more of a connection and me investing in these characters more. So I feel like that's kind of where they shot themselves in the foot a little, a little, mm-hmm. little tiny bit, maybe just the pinky toe. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I hate to think that, that kids wouldn't watch things that are older or slower or in black and white. And so we have to edit them. I mean, I was a kid when I was watching things that are older and slower in black and white. I think if you introduce them t- to it, it's more likely to have people yeah. who will watch it as opposed to, oh, we're going to cut down psycho to 45 minutes and colorize it <laughs> to get kids to watch it. You know, I mean, you're going right. to the Maltese Falcon, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, there, there is value in things in, in black and white photography. Yes. And, and I don't think Dr. Who wasn't necessarily, they didn't, they weren't doing black and white as an artistic choice at that point. You know, that, that was what they could afford to do. Exactly. But I just, I would hate to, for the new standard to become like, oh, well, we need to, we need to freshen up these old movies. Let's cut them down and colorize them. And then the kids will love them. And it, no, they won't. Especially, I mean, there's kids now that don't want to watch SD footage. And this is still mm-hmm. very much SD footage, you know. I mean, it's like, right. I, I don't. So, I mean, I, I, I would still love if they could find interesting and creative ways to introduce kids to black and white programming. Either, I mean, they did another interesting thing on on iPlayer where they've got they sort of built framing stories for some of the classic episodes with new footage filmed with the companions. Where mm-hmm. there's this memory TARDIS, and they're re- remember that time that we were in the 80s and you have the old episode played i mean you could perhaps introduce framing elements around old classic Mm -hmm. black and white stories as well and i I think there's a lot of other ways you can introduce kids to these stories i would just i mean i I didn't think they did a poor job i would just hate for that to be the standard because i mean that that to me just feels like giving up you know um this this isn't the first time this kind of thing has happened for doctor who because when the dvd range was was quite active and things were still being released. There was uh, there's a director called Fiona coming who worked on a couple of different eighties stories. And she took the opportunity to do a new edit of the stories that she directed. Mm. And uh, the first one was enlightenment. And right. then they did uh planet of fire also and two fifth doctor stories. And, and I thought that at that time, it was a very interesting experiment because the DVD release would have, it was a two disc set. You, the first disc would have the original broadcast right. version. The second set would have the new edit, which had new music yeah. cues like and new, yeah. and new digital models and new mm-hmm. special effects. And, and it really jazzed up the story a little bit. Now, even then cutting it down from a 90 minute story to a 75 minute story, some people felt that it was too rushed. In this case, it's like a 200 and something minute story chopped down to 75 minutes. Yeah. So it, there are <laughs> moments when it's like a little choppy to me, mm-hmm. but I, I still think it's a worthy experiment. I think it's, I think it's a lot of fun to watch these classic stories in multiple formats. Yeah. I enjoy like, it both ways. So. Yeah. Like the five doctors, you, I mean, versions of that are now are three. Oh my God. <laughs> too many, too many. It's ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Um, you want to grab some comments before we swing back around yes. to Alan? Uh, Wayne chimes in by saying, are we only talking about movies and TV shows? Pretty much, yes. My all-time favorite science fiction story is Rocket Man from The Illustrated Man. 
I remember reading it after hearing Elton John's song. The two together tell both sides of a story. That's a good, okay. that's a good observation. We, I think we might have to do a beyond Trek one time, all literature. Okay. Yeah. yeah That'd be fun. Has any of that from the illustrated man been put on film? I wonder. There was a film know. of the illustrated man. I thought there yeah. had been. Yeah. That's in what like I thought 60, too. It was like 68 ish. Yeah. yeah. So Wayne, let us know if you've seen a film version of that. Cause I thought I had seen something like that on the TV listing even a year ago. Hmm. And that's even on the um the the trailer for it is even on the the soundtrack for that recent Tarantino that Once Upon mm. a Time in Hollywood. Oh, okay. Ray Bradbury, oh yeah, oh, illustrated man. <laughs> wow, cool. <laughs> All right, well let's take a quick commercial break. Speaking of that, um, do we have a commercial to queue up? Yeah, sure. We'll be right back. Check out the Modern Musicology podcast, where each week we talk about things like... What makes a great drummer? Our favorite rock documentaries. Songs we love by artists we don't love. Our favorite concert memories. Songs that should have been singles. And all of our favorite music from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and now. Do not use Modern Musicology if you're allergic to it. Modern Musicology may produce itching, dizziness, vertigo, temporary blindness, or heart palpitations. Do not taunt Modern Musicology. Ask your doctor about switching to Modern Musicology. Well, welcome back. Uh, and we'll swing back around to Alan. Alan, do you have another Beyond Trek? Yeah, voice? sure. I'm going to throw our graphic up because I didn't do that anytime in the first half. So I'm just going to put it up for a little visual reference for people okay. to kind of get a sense of what we're talking about here. Okay. So the next thing that I want to jump into is a show that I kind of grew up watching. Um, I, I don't think I ever saw all the episodes in order. I just watched it like, however, my local independent uh, television show, which was which was Channel 44, WTNG back in Tampa, Florida, um, whatever order they showed him in, that's what I watched. And uh, I loved the show when I was a kid, but I hadn't really rewatched it as an adult. And. I kind of saw like some episodes here and there, you know, and um, bought some of the DVDs and started watching some of those. But I have this year invested time in exploring it from the very beginning all the way through the end in episode order for the first time really ever. Even though I know the show and I know a lot of the episodes, I'd never watched them all in order before. And that is Space 1999. And that was such an interesting experiment to do because I, you know, I was familiar with it already. I knew season one, I knew season two, and they're very different shows. They, there were a lot of changes because as we all know, season two got Freiburged <laughs> or Freiburger, sorry, Freibergered. So they hired the guy who was in charge of uh, the original series season three to come in and revamp space 1999 going into its second season and he made a lot of changes he changed some of the he's changed a lot about the sets he added a new alien because you know you have to have an alien on the bridge and um you know and it was i love both seasons very much when i was growing up i was all about season two because it was more action it was faster paced 
It had a really cool alien who changed shape and she was a really cool character. And they got rid of some of the season one cast members and introduced a whole bunch of new characters for season two. And I just really liked the the whole dynamic of season two. I really this time around found a, a much greater appreciation for season one, which is kind of like along the lines of lost in space season one where it's more serious sci-fi it explores more concepts it goes farther into you know kind of the the mindset of the characters and and it is a very high concept show and um i really enjoyed it in a way that i'd never really had before but then season two came around and i'm like oh this is so much fun so you know i still love both seasons um and I got to say, I'm a I'm a I'm a Maya fanboy. as much <laughs> as I like um, Professor Bergman in the in the first season. I love Maya. And yeah. I think Catherine Schell is just a phenomenal actress. I love her in everything I've ever seen her in. And um, I really, really enjoyed it. And I and I found a new appreciation for it, even though from memory, I have always loved that show. Always. But now I feel like I have a new sort of like grown up, you know, assessment of it and appreciation for it. So have any of y'all watched it? So much to say about that show. I watched it. I watched it first run. So I watched it when it was originally out as a kid. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this real fast because there's so much to say about this. Martin Landau, who was absolutely almost Mr. Spock in the original Star Trek series, Barbara Bain, who has played his wife on the show, Mission Impossible connection with those two. Yeah. Barry Morris, who played the professor, was uh, Lieutenant mm-hmm. Gerard in the Fugitive TV series. Uh, that was absolutely fantastic. One of the things about Space 1999, if you go online and you will see this all the time, is every one of us, those of us who are super fans at the time, had a model of that cool spaceship. Oh, I had. Yeah, I had, I had, I had one, a, too. The Eagle? Heck yeah, yes, man. I had an Eagle model. Oh, my God. Yeah, such a great show. And they did yeah. something that you don't see often. The only things I can think of that did this much is the most recent Battlestar Galactica series, Space 1909 also had one of the best openings I'd ever had that, that, uh, this episode, this episode. Yes. And they would show <laughs> scenes from the upcoming episode, which mm-hmm. is so yeah. rare. And it was so cool because Martin Landau and Barbara Bain, they had this really cool profile and they turned toward the camera. It had great music. And the last thing I'll say is it also has one of the most memorable sci-fi shows in history, an episode called Dragon's Domain. That's the one I was going Everyone, that's the one everyone loves. Yeah, not going to spoil it, but let's just say there's an alien that likes to eat, well, whole kinds of all kinds of other aliens at the edge of our solar system, which is kind of scary. Watch that episode at night when you're 12. It sears itself into your brain. It's like Lovecraftian, man. It is. It is such a good show. The the thing about the show is that I always thought it looked really great when yes. I was watching it in first run compared to other things that I was seeing at the time, like reruns of Lost in Space and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Watching it now with, you know, 40, 50 years of sci-fi television and movies ingrained in my brain, that show still looks phenomenal. It like does. its model work is incredible. I mean, you can watch these shows and you never lose the illusion that you are actually on the moon. You are actually in a moon base. You are actually flying eagles. And it is just an incredibly well-made show. Just amazing. 
and it looks very much of its era. It's post 2001 pre Star Wars, and mm-hmm. it looks ex- exactly like that. I mean, it, it fits right in where it's at. And you're right. I mean, it, it looks fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I watched it when I was a kid on Sci Fi Channel. They used to play it all the time. Oh, yeah. But I find it now like one of those shows that if an episode grabs me, it really grabs me. And if it doesn't, it, it really doesn't. Yeah. And I find that yeah. you know, some of them are tough sits, but maybe I just they, have to are, be in yeah. the mood for them. Yeah, but, I um, agree. There are some that are just like, Neh. yeah, I just didn't, you know, I, I would like play on my phone and stuff like that, you know, when I should be paying attention <laughs> to the screen. But, right. you know, uh, you know, some, but there was a lot of them that I had very good memories of from having seen them in 78. Um, like uh, the AB chrysalis and um, catacombs of the moon and all these kind of things. And the ones that stuck out in my head the most from originally seeing them, I found that I didn't enjoy as much as some of the other ones that I didn't maybe that didn't grab my attention or grab my imagination mm-hmm. the way that they, the other ones did in 77, 78, you know? So I was, right. I really enjoyed rewatching it. And I highly recommend it to anybody. You talk about, real quick, you talk about the production value of Space 1999. I think it's very interesting because it was a British television production. And we also look at, we're talking Jerry Anderson and Sylvia Anderson. And, of course, Chuck and Veronica, this would mean something to you guys, too. We are talking about people who are involved with the, what do you call the Thunderbirds? What do you call them? Marionettes? Puppets? Mm -hmm. uh, Marionettes. Yeah. Yeah, but the guy who directed, I was talking about earlier, the guy who directed uh, A Trip to the Moon, he was um, an illusionist, a magician, and so forth. And I think what makes Space 99 look good is because these people have such incredibly weird, diverse backgrounds, doing marionettes and puppets. And there was cartoon interactions and Star Trek inter- interactions and Mission Impossible interactions. And it does make for a show that still looks great today, whether, like you said, some of the stories are dated. And, and it was also... Back in the day, it was another time when science fiction, for those of us who had seen stuff from the 40s and 50s, it was taking science fiction seriously. You mentioned Lost in Space, which went from serious to kind of silly. Time Tunnel did the same thing. They were still, even though they became more action-packed, they were still kind of doing that thing Star Trek was doing, taking science fiction seriously. And that was a big deal back in the 60s and Mm -hmm. 70s. Yeah, and you mentioned Jerry Anderson. I mean, Jerry Anderson Productions. Mm -hmm. You can watch the evolution of the model work on those shows. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, beginning back before Thunderbirds, but I mean, the, the, the model work in Thunderbirds is fantastic. Yeah, yeah it, it is. really is. And then Space 1999 is, I mean, 10 years on from that. Yeah. Right. Right. And one thing you can say about the Andersons is that they really liked to blow stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> there is at least one explosion in every episode. <laughs> <laughs> usually at the beginning because they're going to get your attention with a big flashy explosion yeah well the um, pilot with the moon getting blown out of orbit is phenomenal too okay let me get a couple of comments here about this and that okay. is wayne says i have i've got to watch felt nerdy <laughs> won over by the commercial it's a great Excellent. commercial and Elaine says we have just ordered Space 1999 from Amazon. It's on our list to watch. Ooh, I can't wait till y'all get to that. That's going to be, be fun. fun. Yes. Matt Sweatman says, "Growing up, I could never find this show and anywhere to watch it. I had a friend who had a toy of the ship. Yep, just like me and Keith. And I was fascinated, but to this day, I haven't seen Space 1999. Oh. That's so exciting. You and Elaine are going to get to watch a show that neither one of you has seen before. That's In really for a treat. Cool. Um, Wayne says, now I have to watch Space 1999. Darn right you do. Wow. <laughs> and then he says, in the Space 1999 genre, I loved UFO. 
Yep. That's on my list too. And I've got some stuff to say about mm-hmm. that. Um, Lieutenant Ellis may have had a lot to do with that. Honestly, everyone on that show was gorgeous. Well, Wayne, the, the mesh shirts that the women wore probably didn't hurt. <laughs> Everybody on the Well, the men wore them too. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. That was, a, that was so funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Keith, what's your next Beyond Trek? Okay, keeping keeping in my thing about shows that are seminal and influential, and I mentioned it early on, it was a series from 1967. It lasted two episodes, and I'm, I think everybody here is familiar with it, called The Invaders. Mm-hmm. And never simply, seen it. never seen it. Ah, oh, The Invaders, simply put, is the aliens are invading Earth and trying to take over show. But unlike some of the things you saw earlier in, say, War of the Worlds and it's closer to more of an invasion of the body snatchers kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It actually starts with a, a gentleman. Um, his name is David Vincent, played by Roy Thinnis, Thinnis, Thinnis. And he just literally happens to be doing the thing that UFO encounters usually go through, which is he's driving down this dark road one night and he sees a flying saucer. And it's a very interesting looking flying saucer. He sees a flying saucer and long story short, he comes to realize that aliens are slowly trying to invade Earth. But again, unlike things like War of the Worlds, this is more the paranoia type. The mm-hmm. aliens are slowly coming in. They don't come in with an entire uh, armada of ships and take over. They don't do like Earth versus the Flying Saucers. They don't do like um, uh, one uh, Independence Day. And he's basically running around trying to stop a slow takeover, trying to convince people that there's something going on, trying to convince people that he is not crazy. And as such, this is a show, again, much more in the vein of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And it is absolutely, positively a precursor and father of shows like The X-Files, which were all built on paranoia. Uh, Charles, you mentioned watching Sci-Fi and Veronica as well. You might remember back in the early 2000s, there was a series called First Wave, which was also Mm -hmm. about alien invasion. Absolutely comes from the invaders as well. The invaders often walked around like men in these dark coats, almost like they were crazy spies, almost like Boris, Boris from Badenoff. But they were scary and they had these really cool weapons that when they shot you, your body disintegrated and it was really funky and scary. And the whole series is literally about every week you're, you're basically wanting people to listen to this guy and you're wanting this story to get out and people to believe him. So it's a, it's kind of a slow boil. Uh, it's a really good show for about for paranoia and so forth. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, I believe the actor who started in the series actually guest starred on the X Files years later mm-hmm. because of that that pedigree he had. It's a great yeah. series to watch. Yeah, unfortunately, it was before serialization and like primetime dramas. So yeah, it, it's very much it's kind yeah. of like The Fugitive, where he's just forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, every episode yeah. is you, you know he's not going to get caught or he's right. Like, it's all the, it, it's just going to go on, but yeah, it, it's a, it's a great show. It's very mid sixties. Absolutely. Well, Wayne says he used to watch invaders faithfully <laughs> yet. Can't remember a single episode. <laughs> yeah. Wayne, I used to watch on a local channel when I was eight, nine years old at 10 o'clock at night by myself. So I, I feel you there. Nice. Nice. Awesome. All right. Veronica, you said you have another one. Yes, I thought Yay. of another one, actually. And then I was thinking of I had a whole bunch more, but I'm not going to get to all of them. Yeah, we don't have time for much. No. no. Um, <laughs> but the one I did want to talk about was Andromeda, which uh, was oh, yes. Robert Hewitt Wolf. And yes. there were some amazing concepts in there. And um, well of said. course, Kevin Sorbo, which 
who's not apparently not a great human, but um, well said. Uh, that was um, <laughs> Hercules and Xena. Like were some of the shows that I watched with my parents every Sunday night. Um, so I was very familiar with him. And, and again, something that I well I knew about it before, but I never watched it. So Chuck reintroduced me to it. Um, and the concept was just so amazing. There was this one character who just got sick from everything. And then there was this giant rat dude and these, all these awesome prosthetics and, and everything. And it was just such a great show and had such a great concept. And then yeah. they let more about who it wolf go. Mm-hmm. And yes. it just went downhill. And I could, I just like season five started and I don't remember his name now, but the one who was always supposed to you be did constantly not make it six. To season five. Oh, was it season four? You made it to like season two. <laughs> no, I watched all of season two. <laughs> no, I don't think so because you fell off right after Rocky Hero Wolf was cut loose from from Andromeda. Well, whenever what's his face started round kicking aliens, um, yeah, and no, all didn't. of a sudden everyone was round kicking aliens, it, I was like, mm-hmm. Andromeda's good for about a season and change, but. Yeah, it's the same company that ran Gene Roddenberry's Earth Final Conflict, and it has this very similar trajectory. Yes. Then the reason is they didn't want to keep the, the 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 developers of the show on because you keep them on beyond a certain point, and they get royalties for the whole show. So you cut That's them right. and replace them, and then you know put the women in sexier, tighter outfits each season um, as your ratings drop. And yeah, that's, I mean, you can, you can watch the show and just feel the episode where it goes over the ledge. Yes. It's, uh, it's tragic, but yeah, it's good for a bit. Yeah. And, and Charles, you make a very good point because both of these properties in drama and Earth Final Conflict were, were ideas that Gene Rottenberry had been working on that he had never fully developed. And his widow at the time, Majel, uh, Majel Barrett was instrumental in bringing both of those shows to the screen. Mm-hmm. And they are both legendary, as you guys says, and I mean legendary for starting out great and becoming unwatchable. Earth Final yeah, Conflict, well, that's right? Yeah, Gene they're both buried Andromeda. Okay, yeah, right. I had yes. forgotten that. Woo-hoo. Hey, um, that's the Star Trek guy. Yeah, <laughs> he went beyond Trek too. <laughs> Andromeda. There's one thing Andromeda does something I always love because we, we you talk about it sometimes. The uh, the Systems Commonwealth is this ten thousand year old organization, and Andromeda is talking about it's this inter. It's actually a truly intergalactic. And they, Sorbo's character, Dylan Hunt, actually talks in a series about how humans are not the most intelligent and best species in the galaxy. Finally, a show where we're not the greatest, well, we're not the, we don't have the greatest potential. That was really cool. They do a thing that is very familiar to Star Trek fans. They had a way of traveling called the slipstream, which was this really weird way of traveling through quantum reality. But there was something about it where humans or living beings, sentient beings, were better with with, uh, with uh, traversing the quantum reality than, say, robots. So Dylan was actually a better pilot through Slipstream than the sentient Andromeda played by Lexi Doig from Stargate later. And so it had really great concepts. But as you said, the when it, the second, third season, I think, Chuck, you said a season and a quarter or something. Yeah, I don't think it became was- truly unwatchable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Horrible. Horrible, yeah. horrible. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. A couple of comments about this, and that is Matt Sweatman says, I think my favorite sci-fi in the vein of Invaders was uh, the film They Live. Oh, okay. yeah. It's great. Good. Forgot about that. An unnamed Facebook user says, Earth Final Conflict won the race for survival. That's for sure. <laughs> and possibly that same person says, um, Talking to Matt Sweatman, it's a definitive shame, definite shame, sorry, 
with how he's gone down. And that is about Matt's comment that says, I have to admit, I'm not the biggest fan of Kevin Sorbo right now. Yeah. yeah. Poor Kevin. <laughs> and Wayne chimes in no, and says, here's he's what done it to himself. Huh? Yeah. Well, okay. Kevin Sorbo's done it to himself. <laughs> um, Wayne says, here's one since we're talking about Roddenberry Earth 2. Yes. 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 So on Kevin Sorbo, really quick, he is the very first um, sci-fi actor I got a picture with. Oh. Oh, cool. Really? At Dragon Con. Yeah. It was after panel, and he was like, we're going to take pictures. And this was when like we were only in the Marriott and Hilton, and so you were all in that one little teeny tiny room. Um, and people were lining up and they're like five dollars, and I'm like, because oh, I was a broke college student at that point, and yeah. I I had five dollars <laughs> to eat for the rest of the weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh! And I was like, okay, here's my five dollars. I I guess I just won't eat the rest of the weekend. They're like, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. Oh, <laughs> nice. It's still a keepsake. <laughs> yeah. He must all have right. already hit his guarantee for the weekend, so they <laughs> let you off the hook. It was all going to charity or something. Okay. <gasps> yeah. You yeah, stole yeah. money from charity? Yes. Kidding. <laughs> you were the charity at that point. Right. Yes. All right. Well, since we're pressed for time, I'm going to do sort of a, a roundup of my last ones, or yeah. some of them, uh, because some of the best sci-fi TV being made today is mm. on Apple TV. They are knocking it out of the park. And some shows that we've been watching on Apple TV um, – um, for all mankind foundation and silo specifically yeah. uh, are, are incredible sci-fi shows um, mm-hmm. for all mankind, I think is the best thing out there for yes. sci-fi. And if you've never seen it, it's basically an alternate history of the space program beginning the night, the Russians beat the U S to the moon. <laughs> and that changes tra- the trajectory of American and world politics because the space race heats up instead of cooling off when we land on the moon, suddenly the Russians have made it. They have the moon. You know, the, all of our fears about mm-hmm. Russian bases and missile bases on the moon and them having the high ground is coming true. So America kicks it in gear. Um, it, it, it changes. I mean, it, it suddenly becomes about who can get the first moon base. And so there's dueling uh, Cold War moon bases in the 60s. It's who can we can have the first female astronaut. So they re, they bring back the female astronaut program that had been canceled in real life in the early 60s. And you've got female astronauts. You've got um, African-American astronauts. and uh, it, it it begins very it feels very right the right stuff but with america on the back foot i mean i've there's a, a sequence i think it's an episode one so i don't want to spoil it where neil armstrong you know is making his descent to the moon and i've never been more nervous watching neil armstrong's <laughs> land on the moon to find out if he was going to make it because it's, it's, wow. it's a really a nail biter because you don't know what's going to happen but then but basically the concept is the space race never ends because mm-hmm. it turns into you know, we've got to start funding this and we've got they find things yeah. to fund, you know, from space to bring back to make it um, to make it more profitable, which, you know, private industry gets involved in the space race much mm-hmm. earlier. And the show jumps decade to decade as it goes along. So, I mean, it's 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 a fantastic show. I mean, we're the you know, the some of the characters from season one are elderly characters now on the show. Um, now that we're in the 2000s, and I don't want to give too much about the show away, but that's just a little tease. Uh, it, it's just, it's a fantastic alternate history of basically the last 60 years of world history and specifically the space program and what might've been, you know, what, what could we have done? And it, it makes you think, what could we do? Um, so I, mm-hmm. I love it. And Ron Moore is behind it. Uh, the Akutas are involved. Um, a lot of familiar Star Trek yeah. faces are involved with it. 
So if you've never seen For All Mankind, I think it's the best sci-fi show on today. And then as runner-ups off of the Apple TV, um, really digging Silo. And Foundation, say, season two is a little dense. I, it hasn't quite hooked me yet, but it's a beautiful show. And they, Yeah, it really they, is. They basically take the ideas of Foundation and add interesting characters, um, which I felt were missing from the books. So it, it's not the original yeah. Foundation, but it's very much pulling inspiration from it and doing some really interesting, cool things with it. Yep. Let me see what comments we've got. Um, Matt Sweatman says, I wish I could go back in time and buy something for college, Veronica, to eat. Aww. <laughs> sweet. No, you might change history. Yeah, true. <laughs> Butterfly effect, man. Uh, Wayne says, I can't wait for season two of Silo. And he says, don't forget the military advantage for all mankind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you want to see something cool. It, it, uh, you know, the, the Cold War threatening to erupt into a physical war on the moon between cosmonauts yeah. and astronauts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's fun. You know, Charles, you say about For All Mankind, that's very interesting there. I'm sure those who know history know there was a, there was a super famous uh, library in Alexandria, an air, you know, area what we call Egypt, li- Library of Alexandria, the Library of Alexandria, ancient um, gathering of knowledge. And it is said, I think it was burned down. And it was said that if the Library of Alexandria had not been burned down, man probably would have reached the moon in the 1920s or so. There was so much knowledge that was lost and had to be rediscovered. And the other thing you mentioned about all mankind, I think it's interesting. Neil deGrasse Tyson wrote a book a couple of years ago. It's basically about the relationship between astrophysics and the military, pointing out that whether one likes it or not, a huge percentage of human technological advancement has come from war. Either oh, yeah. Pro- oh, yeah. prosecuting war or defense. And that is honestly what happened to our space program. Mm-hmm. And they take into account things like, you know, Werner von Braun being a former Nazi. Yeah. Oh. Um, and the fact that he failed to beat Russia to the moon and <laughs> for all mankind. <gasps> things wow. don't, he doesn't fare as well. Um, <laughs> need somebody to blame. Let's say Nixon needed somebody to blame. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Cool. Yeah, it, it's a great show. All right. That, that's putting us pretty close to time. You okay. want to go ahead and any final thoughts on these? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I just want to put this graphic up so you'll see what all we thought of we were going to get to. Yeah. And yeah. some of this, we'll consider this a preview of what we'll do in our next Beyond Track when right. we have half of those topics to cover. And then we'll have like two <laughs> dozen more that we'll just yes. stick on there too right. and not so get I to any of them. Yeah. But great. If, if I would say it, I tend to think this doesn't have to be said, but if no one has, if you have never seen Metropolis, you have to see it. It's, it's kind mm-hmm. of, like, you got to see Metropolis. It is yes, an amazing. I've seen movie. that one. Yeah. Hey! We, we, saw that, we saw that at a, at a theater with a live organist. Oh, and yeah. It Best is way. A great experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, yep. Alan, where can people find more of you on the internet? Oh, well, go to CosmicCreative.com, K-O-Z-M-I-C Creative.com, and you can see a list of my books and my podcasts, including Modern Musicology, which launches its third season. We just recorded this past weekend. We recorded our the first episode of our third year. It's episode number 100, and uh, that will be going out on Monday. So look for that. And how about you, Keith? You can find me on X and Facebook, primarily the ESO Network Facebook groups. And how about us, Veronica? Oh, nerdy.com. Yep. And if you're in the Atlanta area, we've got some shows coming up. 
Uh, we'll be at the um, the Valentine's Puck and Puppet Show on February 24th. And then the following day, we have our big show, uh, the Felt Nerdy and Dirty Show at the Red Light Cafe. So follow <laughs> Felt Nerdy on Facebook or the Felt Nerdy and Dirty Show on Facebook to keep up with those. And where else can people find us? Monkeying Around, podcast about the monkeys. Yep. And we've got a special guest and episode coming up soon that we're not going to jinx by talking about it now, but it, we're, we're excited. So tune into Monkeying Around. It's a great time to catch up and listen to the show. And do you have a closing for us this week? Indeed. <laughs> That's your opening. Wow. <laughs> and we have an it anniversary was also coming an answer. up. Oh, that's right. You know, next yeah. week is our one year anniversary, our three year anniversary three. of the show. One year. I don't know how long. That <laughs> this is a long year. <laughs> Ultimate history. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we'll, we'll have, we'll have a, a fun episode next week. We'll be looking at some news and some, maybe some looking back, but also looking forward to what's the future of Star Trek. We'll be grounding up some news and sort of doing some speculating and what do we want to see. Things are not as quite as certain as maybe they were a year ago. So we'll, we'll be taking a look at that. So join us next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. We'll be going live on YouTube and Facebook as always. And if you miss it, you can watch the replay or catch our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks, guys. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.